Well, welcome everybody, and we're into the Gospel Part 8, and the subtitle today is What is Striving to Enter Through the Narrow Door? I'm sure you've all heard that phrase before, Jesus Christ talked about striving to enter through the narrow door, and we're going to clarify that this week and in the next session that we're in as well. Now, we're in Session 8, can you believe that? We're in Session 8 of the series, and I want to go back actually to a verse that we've touched on over the last couple of weeks, because the more you study and the more we read the scriptures, the more we realize so often there's more to it than often meets the eye. Yeah. And remember when we looked at John 3, and the verse we looked at last week in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 6, is the one we're going to start off with today. And Because I want to get into it a little bit more. I didn't cover it all in the last session, that I, the points that I wanted to touch on. So John 3, 5, actually, we're just going to start out with, And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, now he's talking here to Nicodemus, we know that, Truly, truly, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the context, the subject matter is what? Entering the kingdom. Yeah? We got that. Verse 6. Now this is a focal verse that we touched on last week and I want to carry on a little bit more this week. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you You must be born again. Born from above is the correct translation of that. Born again is the wrong translation. Anathan, born from above, right? And last week we got into understanding the similar terms, didn't we? Born again in both John 3 here and in 1 Peter. Yeah, remember that? And which we now know that they're only similar because of an error in translation and an error in our understanding. Yeah? That's the only similarity that's brought about by it. Which, by the way, are essentially the only two ways that we end up in error. It's either in translation or in our understanding, essentially. And very often it's both. (laughs) Then, we also looked at chapter 15, didn't we, of 1 Corinthians. Because that section deals with the exact same event, remember we saw that, that Jesus was dealing with here in John, yeah, when he spoke to Nicodemus. Now, I want us to see here that this verse 6, right, I want you to look at your notes, yeah, just what we read, Look at how verse 6 is sandwiched right in between what? What is it sandwiched in between? Do you see it? Right there in, in your notes, that verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But it's really important that we give recognition to its position. Where it is in scripture, it's context. It's so essential that we do that. Because what people do is they pull these verses out of context. You saw that with John 3.16. And we see it with so many other verses. Romans 10.9 and 10. All these verses get pulled out of context. And they get forgotten. They forget what it's talking about. What the subject matter is. Who the audience are. Who it's been addressed to. And we're going to see today the time scale. Did you hear that? The time scale that's involved in John 3.6. When it's going to happen. Yeah? Because so often... People are superimposing these verses onto today, just like Nicodemus did. Yeah? Oh, he says, you mean I have to crawl into my mother's womb now? And what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about entrance into the coming kingdom. Yeah? He wasn't talking about him being born from above today. Yeah? And that's why he, he pointed us to Ezekiel 36, 37 to make that clear. So let me ask you, is being born of the Spirit that we're reading about here referring to a future event in the resurrection 
Or is it right now going by its context? It's in the resurrection. We can't suck that verse 6 out of there and start talking about, oh yeah, now we're born of the Spirit. And like I mentioned over the last few weeks, there is Spirit involved in our walk in the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's not what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, It's not what's happening. It's not what Jesus is talking about. This happening in a future event of the resurrection. And what do we do as most of the church? We suck it out of that context. We say, hey, oh, I'm born of the Spirit now. We've got to make sure we don't do that. Yeah, Because you know something? The theological systems of the world will not agree with that. Because there's too much change involved. They've been teaching the opposite for so long that they'll not go through that paradigm shift. The agony of the change of that redirection is far too much. And we're going to see the implications of not changing. We're going to see the implications of continuing in error in the scriptures over this, this week and in the weeks to come. But we have to see it. Why do we have to see it? Because it's what Jesus and the scriptures are crying out to us. That's why. Yeah. We've got to see this. And not only just see it, we've got to change our lives to line up with it. Now I want us to deal with some other aspects of this contrast between flesh and spirit. Because that's where we're going in the initial part of today. It's looking at flesh, looking at spirit, and looking at it from a scriptural point of view. right? Because what's been taught today is that when you follow Christ, whatever that is in their definition, yeah, you are now a powerful spiritual being. That there's nothing that should or can affect you or defeat you in any way and that you're now a powerhouse for Jesus. But is that what the scriptures are teaching? Is that what the scriptures are teaching? We're going to see it. Now before we move on, I want to make something crystal clear. yeah, Because what people often do, will take my words out of context, yeah, nothing new there, and say, oh well, uh, no, you know, you know that, that church, that fellow, doesn't believe in spirit being involved today. Oh, absolutely wrong. There is spirit involved today. But it's not what Jesus is talking about here in John 3. It's not this being born from above immediately. But we know from other parts of Scripture, and we'll get into them in the, in the weeks to come, that there is spirit involved. You cannot know God, who is spirit, without spirit being involved. And we're going to see it in a minute. I want to make that absolutely clear right up front. There's spirit involved in the revelation of Jesus Christ. But, and guys, it's a huge but. It's not being born from above. Born from above, in the context of which Jesus Christ used it, is something that happens in the future event of the resurrection and the inauguration of his kingdom to come right here on earth. Now, what we dare not do is try and superimpose our own theological ideas on top of all of this now. Yeah? And suck it out of that context and transpose it into today, which is what happens so often. That's what the majority of Christendom have done. To the total disregard of where God Almighty set this in the scripture, yeah, and where the Son of God quoted it to the teacher of Israel, we suck it out of that context and we transpose it onto ourselves and superimpose it onto us today, whereby somebody holds their hand up in a meeting, they confess Jesus as Lord, whatever that means to them, and now they are born again. They are not. They are not, according to the truth of the scripture. Yeah. Because what was Jesus teaching Nicodemus? He was saying to him, Nicodemus, 
What are you on about? <laughs> Remember that. What are you on about? Why are you talking about crawling into your mother's womb today? Because he was, you know, he, he was a big guy. You know, he was a fully grown man. You're talking about crawling into your mother's womb. I'm talking about the future event of the resurrection of Israel. And you're talking about your mother. Wake up. Wake up. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't know this? Because remember we looked at Hebrews 6. This is milk of the word. This is stuff that Jesus thought Nicodemus would understand without an issue. Because it is the milk of the word. So before we get into today's title, which is going to focus on a huge question for all of us. You've got to understand how huge this question is. The title on the teaching, the title in your notes there, is absolutely huge for us to understand. What is striving to enter through the narrow door? That is so essential for us to understand. And we're going to see why, because Jesus made it essential. Yeah. That, so that's the question we need to get answered today and, and in the coming weeks. Yeah. We're not going to cover it all today, that's for sure. But before we do that, I want us to deal with the contrast set in the scriptures of flesh and spirit. Because it's so often intermingled and so often misunderstood, the difference and the distinction God makes in scripture between us who are flesh and us who are spirit and what that actually means from a scriptural context, in that scriptural context. And we'll get to understanding, don't worry, what striving is all about. Yeah? Now, whether you want to understand it when you hear it is quite another thing. But we have to. We have to. Why do we have to? It's coming up. So the first thing we should all notice, if we haven't already, is did you notice that being born of spirit is where it's sandwiched in God's word? Did you, did you look at your notes there? Yeah, 3, 5, 3, 6, and 3, 7. Look at, just look at 3.5 and 3.7. Yeah? What is the context? It's the kingdom. It's the inauguration of Christ's coming kingdom. So the location of these terms we read in verse 6 are not positioned by accident. They're not positioned by accident. They're right in the middle of two specific verses crying out to us that this being born from above, this spiritual birth, being depicted in John 3, happens when? Not today. But in the day depicted in John 3 by Jesus Christ himself. When is that? When is it? It's the day of the resurrection. It's the day of the resurrection. Why do we need to be born from above in that day? Because we cannot enter into that kingdom being flesh. Does that give you a clue what we are today? Have you looked down at your hand? We're flesh. We're going to see it depicted in the scriptures that we're flesh. We are not spiritual. And we saw that last last week, didn't we, in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus, When Jesus Christ returns... And the dead, yeah, those who are his, remember we saw that, are resurrected. Those who are alive, who are his, are gathered into the clouds. Remember that? In an indivisible moment of time. Get it? (laughs) That's how fast that happens. Yeah? Indivisible moment of time, resurrection, gathering. Boy, can you imagine what the world's going to, what's going to happen in the world when that happens? What about somebody that is his flying an aeroplane? A jumbo, whatever they're called, 747. Somebody's going to have to be grabbing the controls. (laughs) Yeah? What about the train ride? We went to see a movie the other night. The Unstoppable. Unstoppable. What's the actor's name? Denzel Washington and Unstoppable. 
Now, the funny thing about that was that they didn't even have a train, <laughs> train driver. Yeah. The guy, guy managed to jump out. That's why the train was unstoppable. But just imagine if he had been in there yeah. and he was one of his. Whack. He's out of there. And they're going, why are we going so fast? Well, you better get onto these controls and start slamming the brakes on. Yeah? yeah. So it's going to be an amazing time in the earth when that happens. But you realize it's also the same time of the judgment seat of Christ. It's really important to understand that. And what happens to all that are his is their judge and Christ inaugurates this kingdom right here on earth at that time. And you have to remember that it's only God that opens eyes, guys. It's only God that opens his eyes, people's eyes. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-seven. I just want to touch on this verse. Because this verse is a verse that's in the center of my mind every day of my life now. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Listen, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So for all of us out there who are bashing our heads up against stone walls, we need to understand that verse. You know, we still have to do all we can in service to others. We're going to see that. But ultimately... We see in that verse, who opens eyes. Yeah, Who opens eyes? God does through the Son. It's not by our exquisite delivery of the message. (laughs) Yeah, It's not by the technology that we employ. It's not the music, and we played some great music here before the meeting. It's not by that music that people are going to suddenly start to understand the scriptures. Or we become, quote, relevant. (laughs) Absolutely not. God declares, and we see it, we will know him if we are chosen to know him. Right Now, do I understand that fully? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Now, do you not think the disciples, when they they looked around, when they they were with Jesus, do you not think they looked at each other when Jesus pointed to the multitudes, pointed to the redeemed of Israel, which were hundreds and thousands of people as he was preaching to them. And he, he, he turned around to the 12 disciples and he, and he said to them, yeah, see, the, yeah, see these multitudes? I was, I'm speaking to the redeemed, but to you, 12, is the privilege to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Why didn't he give it to all the multitude? That's a good question, isn't it? Give me a ring when you find out that answer. Because the, the disciples had to be turned around and said, who... who who us? John? Is he talking about us? <laughs> yeah. And then we see Jesus taking the time, don't we, to explain what he was talking to them about. But he was talking to them alone. And, wh- and when he did, guess what? They saw it. They saw it. They understood it. Yeah. Have you ever spent time, sometimes, I know in my life, hours with some people, and they never see it? Yeah. That's a great clue that they do not have eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah. Okay, back to flesh and spirit now. And I want to go and focus on some verses again in 1 Corinthians 15. Can you tell that's a favorite chapter of mine? <laughs> and with the backdrop yeah, of the verses we read in John 3.6, and that verse was, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Because this 1 Corinthians 15 is dealing with the exact same event, so we're going to get some real clues there as to who we are, what we are in this day and time. Yeah? Now I just want to get, a, us to get a glimpse before we move on of how the scriptures describe us. Yeah? How it describes us 
in the here and now. In the here and now. And this is not going to be the description of the many. So, listen up here. Bear in mind now that the, what the scriptures are saying. Yeah, It's the scriptures that are true. Not necessarily what we are being taught from the scriptures. Yeah, So we've got to make a decision that this is ultimately the inerrant word of God. Regardless of what people are saying about it. Yeah? And we're going to see what a conflict that is. And you will see what a conflict that is as you move on in the truth of the scriptures. Yeah? Because so much of what we hear today contradicts what we read in the scripture. You know, even what I've said up to now, for the most part, for the many, contradicts what they already believe. Because the many are saying we're all powerful spiritual beings, that we should be knocking the hell out of Satan. Can you say that in church? Yeah, and that's another word that we should cover at some point. Hell. Yeah. You talk about error in translation and error in understanding. Boy, it's huge in that word. Yeah. So when we go into 1 Corinthians 15 here, we have to be aware this section is talking about the exact same event as depicted in Daniel 12 and many other sections of the Hebrew Scriptures, right? And the record we've been dealing with in John 3. Yeah, and we covered that. Now bear in mind now, as we hit these verses, we have to keep the backdrop of John firmly in all of our minds. Don't shoot off into a theological, spiritual interpretation of this. This is the event that's going to happen that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John 3, right? And you'll see as we do that, as we go through this, just how it fits with the rest of Scripture in a fantastic way. And we've got to also watch how it contradicts what is so often taught today. Yeah? We're taught today that we are all spiritual, powerful beings, whereas we're going to see that that's not what the Scriptures are dictating to us. So immediately you're getting conflict. Immediately you're getting people switching off now. Now, you know, this is not going to be a popular message. Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> Why? Why? Because it doesn't fit into the theological teachings of today. That's why. And that's a really huge surprise for all of us, isn't it? It's not. Okay, First Corinthians 15. Now, the quicker we get into this, the quicker we get into striving through that narrow door. Yeah? So, First Corinthians 15, 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who are his, yeah, those who belong to Christ, those that are his, Talking about the resurrection, we are bought and owned by Christ's own sacrificial blood in that redemption. Yeah? Because he provided the means for that redemption. Right? Now, this verse is translated in Young's Living Translation. Listen to this. And each in his own and his proper order, a first fruit, Christ, afterwards, those who are the Christ's in his presence. King James says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. And last week we covered that, didn't we? What it means to be Christ's. Now, we're going to see just because you and I have been redeemed does not mean that we go on to inherit the kingdom. It doesn't mean that we're going to rule and reign with Christ now because God has redeemed us. Listen to this verse in 2 Timothy 2.19. Just jumping out a little bit of the context here. This is in the HCSB version. There's many versions that are out there, but there you go. But verse 19 says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, having this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. That's going to come up a little bit later. And everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. We saw that last week, didn't we? 
that those who are his are depicted as those who have sacrificed the passions and desires of the flesh. And we're going to see how important that is as we move through the subject of striving. That is part of the striving. We're going to see that. Now, I want to go to a section here, a little diversion, but do you remember when the mother of the two sons of Zebedee asked Jesus a question in Matthew 20? Yeah, so quick diversion. Because this will become so important when we get into what striving is all about. And we're going to start to kind of build that context of what striving is all about. Yeah, Matthew 20, verse 20. Let's, let's go to this record where the mother of the sons of Zebedee, yeah, who were two of the followers of Jesus Christ, ask him a question. Now watch the question and watch the answer. <laughs> Very often more important. But verse 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her son. So can you get, can you get that picture? Here's the mother dragging the two sons along. Uh, these are guys of you know, the reasonable age. Yeah? And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. That's what she wanted. She wanted them to rule and reign with Christ in his coming kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Do you understand what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they chirped in right away. And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Wow. He didn't have the authority to tell this mother, yeah, that she, he could assure them of sitting on his right hand or sitting on his left hand. Let's go on. And when the ten heard it, so they're standing back, listening to this, yeah? They were indignant at the two brothers. Who the heck do they think they are? <laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah? What are they doing asking them all these stupid questions? Yeah? And verse 25, but Jesus called them to him. Do you, have you figured out that he knew what they were talking about? Yeah? And said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So he's talking about rulership here in the context of the coming kingdom. And he's saying to them, you, you're watching the rulers in this world, in all the nations. Yeah, think about the rulers of this world currently. Yeah, right? They lorded over the people that they're the leaders. And their great ones exercise authority over them. I'm the president of this country and this is what you're going to do. I don't care how you feel about it. Yeah, This is what you're going to do. Now he's going to set in contrast the rule and authority in the kingdom. Yeah, And you better hear this. Do you remember the subtitle today? Striving through the narrow door. This is so key to understanding that. Verse 26. And I've got a little bit of it in red here. <laughs> yeah? It shall not be among you. Now bear in mind, the twelve disciples are guaranteed to be in the kingdom. Yeah, So he's talking about at least twelve here who are going to be in that kingdom. It's not going to be among you. You are not going to be like these rulers in the Gentile nations who lorded over people, who exercise authority over them, but, but, 
Whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. Servant. You're not in a position of authority to be served. Do you see that? That's going to see, we're going to see it. that is part of the striving. To become a servant, a doulos, a bond slave of Jesus Christ is going to take you and I becoming servants. Nobody wants that if you haven't figured it out. They want to be served. They want all the goodies. And they don't want to pay the price for it. Yeah, We're going to see that as we get into the scriptures. And whoever would be what? First. First. Who wants to be first? Oh yeah, well, all the hands are up. Yeah, We all want to be first, don't we? And whoever would be first among you must be what? Your slave. Now what's the picture we've got in our minds when we think of slaves? Yeah? We think of the poor people. Look at them. They're having to serve. They're having to you know, do what, they're, what they have to do to help people, to serve people. Oh, boy, I, I wish I was that person. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah? For the most part, no, we don't. We don't have this picture of servitude being great. But Jesus did. Jesus did. We're so far away from this, guys, that that's why he's talking about few entering in that narrow door. Because we've all had experience of putting out sheets of paper for people to serve in the church and not one name going down on it. Not one. So that's you. You haven't figured that out. Yeah? You can't get much fewer than that. Yeah? And look at verse 27. Sorry, verse 28. Even as, now look at this. Who's the example he's using us? Himself. Hey guys, waking up. Yeah? And we're, we're going to see it. I think it might be next week before we see it. His last act of servitude. They got so uncomfortable with him going through that act of servitude towards them that they almost refused it. Yeah? We'll see it next week. But look at verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve! So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you going to be doing? And what are the many not doing? Very often they're not serving, guys. Very often they're not serving. They're waiting to be served. They're coming to church and moaning, a lot of them, about that pastor. You know, yeah, I, I just I don't like the way he puts that across. You know, or I, I don't like the cookies. Well, bring your own then. <laughs> yeah, or oh, that coffee. You know, just just not the best. Starbucks is much better. Well, go to Starbucks. Quit moaning about it. Yeah, but that's what so often happens. Because they're into being served instead of going to church with the attitude and fellowship. Going to attitude, what can I do for these people who are my brethren, who are my sister, who are my brother? So you guys all listening to this right now, what have you done for the person sitting beside you? That's really confronting, isn't it? We've got to be thinking that way. Because we're to be servants. We're to be followers of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a follower 
of Jesus Christ if you don't serve. It's not rocket sciences. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Jesus expects us to know it. And we're going to see this specifically when we go to the narrow door. Because he spells this out for us. But why does he say it's going to be few? Because so few will want to serve. Yeah, it's sad, but it's true. But you know, some some of us avoid serving the brethren. What impact is that going to have on us in the future? It's huge. Because we know that person doing that are not going to rule and reign with Christ in the coming kingdom. It's coming up. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. They will not rule and reign with Christ in the coming kingdom. So if you avoid going to church, (laughs) if you avoid the brethren, if you avoid the situations where you can serve, the implications of that are absolutely massive. Not just right now, but we're going to see it in the kingdom. Because we're going to see people who came up to Jesus and said, hold on a minute. Uh, You know, I've heard all your teachings. I've, I've been to all your meetings. Yeah, but you didn't do what I said you had to do. Yeah, there's going to be many of them. That's what he indicates. So guess what? There are going to be few. Yeah? There are going to be few who do it. Yeah, We're going to see it. Because we're going to see in a minute, people who think, did you hear that word? Who think, right, that they warrant the privilege in their own eyes. Now, I want you to superimpose this on the church today. Yeah? There are people who think that they warrant getting into the kingdom and ruling and reigning with Christ. When they don't in Christ's eyes. So they're thinking that they warrant it, but in Christ's eyes they don't warrant it. Whose eyes are important? Christ's. It's Christ's view of our lives that's important. It's what the scriptures indicate to us in the scriptures as to what we have to do to strive into that narrow door. Not necessarily what you've been taught from the pulpits of the world. Yeah? Get back to the words of Christ. That's what we've got to do. Yeah? And as tough as that is, it means very often you have to make a huge, massive paradigm shift in your heart and mind as to what you have been taught for decades and will continue to be heard in the Christendom today for decades to come. Yeah? So when you see... <laughs> The redeemed avoiding serving their brothers in Christ, it tells you immediately they're not going to end up in the kingdom. And if they ever do end up in the kingdom, they certainly are not going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. Yeah. So all indications are that those who do not serve the brethren in love will not rule and reign with Christ in the coming kingdom. This is not a guessing game. <laughs> do you understand? Jesus didn't expect us to listen to this and say, I wonder if I'll make it. No, you will make it if you do what he asked us to do. I will make it if I do what he asked us to do. And the opposite is absolutely just as true. If I don't do what he asked me to do, I will not make it. Don't think this is a guessing game. 
So again, if we avoid coming to fellowship, if we avoid the contact with the brethren, you see why God says, this is vital. You've got to get in there. You've got to serve. You've got to encourage. You've got to love. You've got to give a drink of water. You've got to give some food. You've got to visit in the jail. Remember that? You've got to do all that stuff. That's all part of the striving, guys. Because we don't want to do it. So often we don't want to do it. It takes me all my time to open the Bible. It takes me all my time to pray. Because of my flesh. Yeah, we're going to see it in a minute. But you realize this is a huge, massive effect on our future. Not just here, but in the coming kingdom. Yeah, it is absolutely huge. So we're going to see now that today we are flesh. If you haven't figured that out. We are flesh, yeah? And we will be born from above, right, in the resurrection. Verse uh, 24 of Corinthians 15, yeah? Then comes the end. So we're talking about this future event coming up, right? Then comes the end, and he delivers the kingdom of God, so the kingdom to God, the Father. Now, so we're beyond, you know, we're, we're into the kingdom. This is coming to the end, the final end, yeah? After, now put in your notes here, time involved. It seems pretty obvious, but believe me, so many miss this. There's time involved here, yeah? After destroying every rule and every authority and power. He doesn't do that immediately. Right? We're going to see that. He doesn't do it immediately. There's time involved. Has this happened yet? No, it hasn't. And neither does it happen at the inauguration of his kingdom when he returns. Right? There's time involved. Look at verse 25. For he must reign until... You see that? Until, again, there's time involved. Until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't. Right? Neither does it happen at the inauguration of his kingdom when he returns. Yeah? There's time involved. The, listen to this now. Verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't. And neither does it happen. Right? At the inauguration of his kingdom when he returns. So when we get, when that resurrection happens, when we, if we're alive and remain and are his, and we get gathered into the clouds, and that then, that inauguration of the kingdom happens here on earth, guess what? Death is not destroyed. Death continues. Why do I know that? Because it hasn't happened yet. These are all future events following on from the inauguration of the kingdom to come here on earth. Right, verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Has he done that? No, he hasn't. Yeah? He hasn't done it. This is all future. But, when, but then it says, all things are put in subjection. Is that going to happen? Absolutely. All things will, future tense, be put into subjection in the future. Yeah? It is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. Look at this now. Look at the first word of uh, 28. When? 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 Time involved, isn't it? This is following his return. There's time. When all things are subjected to him. Then, it's all time, isn't it? It's all time. The Son himself will also be subjected to him. He put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. That doesn't happen immediately. 
We see that clearly in the scriptures when we go into it. Because that hasn't happened yet, has it? And neither does it happen at the inauguration of his kingdom when he returns. So all of this happens following that initial 1,000 year period of his reign that's depicted in the book of Revelation. Yeah? Now that is not just a 1,000 year reign, but it's depicted as 1,000 years because that's the period of time that Satan is bound up and then released at the end of that 1,000 year. So throughout that 1,000 year reign, we know that death continues. And we actually don't know when death is destroyed because it doesn't tell us from a time perspective when it happens. Yeah? It just tells us this goes on into the ages of the ages. Yeah? Look at 1 Corinthians 15.42 now. Now watch out here for the word sown. S-O-W-N. Yeah? Sown. Which refers to death. Okay? And also look out for raised. Yeah? Raised. Because that refers to life here in this section. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 47. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So what's the context? The resurrection, right, of the dead. Same backdrop, yeah, John 3, remember? Same backdrop, exact same situation that he's talking to Nicodemus about, yeah? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown? What does that immediately tell us? Death. Isn't it? What is sown? Is what? Perishable. Perishable. Does it say spiritual? No. Why doesn't it say spiritual? If you're a spiritual being, why doesn't it say that which is sown as spiritual? Because you're not. And neither am I. The scriptures are indicating to us exactly what we are. We are perishable when we are sown. Yeah. What is raised... <laughs> Look at this. What is raised is imperishable. Isn't that fantastic contrast? You're sown perishable and you're raised in the resurrection of Jesus Christ on that day, imperishable. Fantastic. Right. Verse 43. It, what's he referring to? I've underlined it in your notes. Yeah. It is sown. We, we are the it. <laughs> you're it. You and I are it. It is sown in dishonor. Do you see that? Is it sown in honor? No. no. Why? Because we're flesh, we're perishable, and we are in dishonor. There's that it again. It is raised, what? In glory. So are we glorious right now? No, we're raised that way. We're sown in, in dishonor. Yeah? But we're raised in that resurrection. Or in that gathering together. Some people are going to be alive. Don't forget that. It's not all a resurrection. Some are going to be alive who are his. They will get this at the exact same time. Hey, it is sown. It is sown in weakness. Does it say we're sown in strength? It doesn't say that. But that's what the church are trying to superimpose on top of everybody that they're spiritual, powerful, glorious beings? I don't think so. Not according to the scripture. Yeah? But one day, one day, you and I sure will be. Yeah? It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. When is it powerful? In the resurrection. Yeah? 
in the resurrection. Look at verse 44. It. <laughs> it. You and I. Yeah. It is sown. That's body that we're in. It is sown. Hold on. A natural body. Does it say it's sown a spiritual body? It doesn't say that. You may want it to say that. I may want it to say that. And that's what I've been taught. And that's what my Christian bookstores have chalked to the, the walls with. Books that are telling me of what I am when the scripture says I am not Yeah? It is sown a natural body. Guess what? It's sown a natural body. Look, it's raised a spiritual body. When are you and I spiritual bodies? In the resurrection. In the gathering. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have spirit today. But it's not the spirit that we're talking about. You and I are not the picture that's being depicted here. That happens in the resurrection. Now look at the latter part of that verse. Hey guys, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. But what happens so often is we try and transpose all of this stuff that we just read onto ourselves today. So I put a summary there. Sown is perishable. Yeah. When we're sown, we're perishable. When we're sown, it's in dishonor. When we're sown, it's in weakness. When we're sown, it's a natural body. You got it? You get the message? Yeah? But, and it's a massive, huge but, when we're raised, when? In the resurrection, we're raised imperishable. We're raised in glory. We're raised in power. We're raised as spiritual body. Wow. Give me some knocking heads together. Thus it is written, 45, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not, now, have you got this? Yeah, you get, I all got your eyes on the notes here. Yeah? But it is not the spiritual that is first. I mean, could God make it any clearer than that? But the natural. So, are we in the natural? Absolutely. Some of us are fighting a cold. We're in the natural. You know, we can't even fight that off. Does that sound powerful, spiritual, a glorious honor to you? No. Not at, not at all. We're still subjected to death, but there's so many people in the church condemning themselves because they're not living up to the criteria that's been taught to them. That happens when? In the resurrection. Yeah. In the resurrection. Now that doesn't mean that other things can't happen. But I'm talking specifically about this section of scripture. I'm talking specifically about us being natural as opposed to spiritual. Because we saw, remember when we looked at the Pharisees, yeah? Would you consider them spiritual? You know, going by the five senses, they were studying the Hebrew scriptures. They devoted their life to it. Yeah, they were redeemed. Jesus turned around and said to them, oh, you're doing all that? You're the sons of Satan. Why did he do that? Because of what they did. <laughs> because of what they did. So as we walk in the scriptures, as we walk as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are walking a spiritual walk. Because of what we're doing. We're going to see how important that is as we get into the narrow door. 
Yeah, And we touched on it already. The servitude is something you do if you haven't figured that out. Yeah, It doesn't come automatically. So far from it. Now don't forget the context here that we're in here. Yeah, This is talking about the quality of life coming up in the resurrection and ongoing into that kingdom. Yeah, So, so important for us to understand that. Look at verse 47. The first, yeah, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall, future tense, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Context, what's it talking about? Is it talking about today? When? Future inheritance, future resurrection. Shall is in the future tense. Yeah? Not in the present. We shall also be in the image of him in that future resurrection. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the context of all this stuff that we've just been reading about is inheritance into that kingdom. Yeah? Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It all turns up in the resurrection and the gathering. Yeah. Okay. Finally, onto this subtitle here. Okay, let's get into what is striving to enter into the narrow gate. And I say we're going to make a start on this this week, and it's no uh, serve, no live feed next week. So it's a couple of weeks before we get back into the same subject because we will be into it because you don't cover this in five minutes if you haven't figured that out. Right? Matthew 7.13 is one section of scripture that we're going to go to briefly where Jesus depicts this narrow door. Yeah, And then we're going to spend more time in Luke 13, uh, which is the, he's on about the same narrow door. Yeah, So Matthew 7.13. Enter by the narrow gate. Do you get that? This is the author and finisher of our faith telling us what to do. Yeah, For the gate is wide... And the way is easy. I wish we could put a period there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because the narrow gate we're going to see is not wide and it's not easy. And he says, that leads to what? Destruction. So if we see a wide gate, if we see a really easy gate, we can't get fooled by that. Why? Because it leads to destruction. It leads to loss. That word is loss. Yeah. And those who enter it are many. So there's going to be a massive crowd on that door. Yeah? Leading up to that door. Leading up to that gate. It's going to be massive. There's going to be hundreds and thousands, if not millions of people on that path. Why? Because it's wide. And it's easy. Do you remember what I said earlier about servitude? (laughs) Yeah? It's not easy. If you haven't figured that out, you will. As you continue to do it. So it's many, right? But, but do you see here, there's another option. <laughs> there's another option. That's what we've got to be so clear on. And you also see in that section, it's the many entering in that wide and easy gate. Like I said earlier, few want to serve. Few want to encourage. Few want to fellowship. Yeah. And look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow. Are you listening? This, these are the words of the Son of God. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. 
that leads to life. Which gate do you want? The one that leads to loss or the one that leads to life? Well, you're going to have to get into a little bit of the narrowness, <laughs> a little bit of the toughness, what a better word, of this gate of what it takes to get through that gate. Yeah. If, it's a huge if, you want life. If you don't, not an issue. You can go the wide and easy way. So this leads to life. Oh, hold on. And those who find it are few. So I'd be really asking myself a question about a huge, massive, mega church. What am I teaching? Yeah. Why isn't it few? Why don't I have a few people around my life? Yeah. But they don't. So let's look at another section now where we're going to spend more, a little bit more time. Luke 13, 22. And he went on his way. Now I want you to remember all this stuff. Yeah. Because this is a context leading up to Jesus talking about the narrow gate and what it's going to take for you and I to squeeze through. <laughs> yeah. If it's narrow, you might have to go on a diet. Yeah. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching, journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, now don't you forget that. That is so key. First words out of this guy's mouth is, Lord. Will those who are saved be few? And he said to them. Now, you've got to look, because what we do is, we superimpose, what does that save mean? Yeah? Yeah. And you've got to look at the context in relation to entering into the coming earthly kingdom in Luke here. Yeah? Not just chapter 13, but throughout Luke. Yeah? And it's talking about entrance into the coming kingdom. Verse 24. Strive! First! Do you see, do you see that? Put the first words out of his mouth. We're not, well, it's okay. It's easy. It's wide. You'll get there. No, he said, strive. Agonizomai. Get a word agony from it. That was not the first words they wanted to hear. Do you understand that? And neither is it the first words you and I want to hear. Yeah, because of our fleshly nature, we want it to be easy. But he didn't paint that picture. Religion might. Christianity might. Theological systems of this world might. But he didn't. Strive. To enter through the narrow door for many, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, do you see there they're seeking to enter? Do you see that? We're going to see it in a minute. They're seeking to enter. They're thinking, hold on a minute. I should be able to enter that. And he's saying, no, you're not able. And this is a verse that you don't have in your notes, but I'll read it to you anyway. Hebrews 12, 14, where the same word strive is used. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I'll get that into your notes after the meeting. <laughs> don't want you to miss that. Yeah? I don't want you to miss that without holiness, none of us will see the Lord. Yeah? That's so far from what people teach today. It'll make you hair curl. If you have hair, that is. <laughs> so, 25. When once the master... Now, this is Jesus talking to them, yeah? Because what's he said? What's he said in the previous verse, yeah? He said, seek to enter. You know, there's going to be many. There's going to be many seeking to enter and will not be able. And then he says, when once the master of the house has risen, and what? Shut the door. That's a phenomenal clue to us as to what's just happened. 
There's massive, powerful events of 1 Corinthians 15 that we just read have already happened. Because he shut the door. In order for him to shut the door, those who are his had to be raised. Those who are his had to be gathered. Those that were his had to be judged. Those that were his had to be confronted. <laughs> and this is what he's doing here. Yeah. Because remember Daniel 12.2 is the confrontation of the redeemed, some to age lasting life, some to age lasting contempt and abhorrence. Yeah. Shut the door. Don't want you to forget that. And you. Now put that in red in your notes. Yeah. Because we need to figure out who the you are. Because the many are superimposing that you on the unredeemed. Those outside of the church who don't know God, who hate Jesus Christ. And he's not talking to them. He's talking to the redeemed. Why do I know that? Because they had to be raised. He couldn't be talking to them if they were dead. He, they were raised in the resurrection. Many are going to be raised in the resurrection and this is who it's talking about. And you, so this is not the outsiders, which is the scriptural term for the unredeemed, yeah? So it's not those outside of the church, it's those who are redeemed by God, who think, who think they've done what it needs to be done to make it into ruling and reigning with Christ in the coming kingdom. And we're going to see it. They don't. Because just thinking you do doesn't get you there. <laughs> yeah. So they begin to stand outside, outside of what? The door. The door to the kingdom is now shut. They're standing outside the door and saying, hold on a minute. How do we get in here? Door's shut in my face. Who's got the key? <coughs> what key? <laughs> Oh, you were given the key, but you decided not to take the key. I told you the key. He's shouting through the keyhole now. The key's on this side, and I told it to you when I was in your streets. Remember that? I was in your houses. I told you about this, but you magnified your way above my way. That's why you're on that side of the door, and I'm on this side. Boys, we've got to see this. We have got to see this. Because most don't see it. Most think it's holding their hand up in a meeting for a one-time event and they're in the kingdom. Boy, could could anything be further from the truth than that? Yeah. So they're standing outside, knocking at the door, saying, hold on, look at the first word. Lord! Lord! You're my Lord. Was he? No, he wasn't. How do we know that? Because they're on the wrong side of the door. If they had, if he, they had him as their Lord, they would have done what he had spoken to them in their streets and in their homes and all that stuff, and they would be on the right side of the door. Yeah. But I want you to see they're still using the name. Yeah? They're still using the name, and you and I will hear that name taught, teaching a distorted gospel. That's why you've got to be aware of it. Just because they're shouting, Lord Jesus, just because they've got a Bible, just because they're talking about Jesus being wonderful, 
doesn't mean they're going to get through that narrow door. This is depicting what it takes to get through the narrow door. And it's going to become clear to us. And it should already start to become clear to us. Yeah. So, hey Lord, okay, I'm ready now. I've come my way, not your way. Open up the door. Then he answers. But look at, look at the you. He's answering the redeemed. He's answering the redeemed. I do not know where you come from. Now do you notice, he didn't say, I don't know you. Yeah? It's the direction they're coming. It's the direction that he's looking at. Yeah? Do you see what Christ is concerned with? Does he know who he's talking to? He absolutely does know who he's talking to. You bet he does. But he's focused on the direction they're coming from. Isn't that interesting? You wouldn't think that would be so important, would you? I mean, I've held my hand up in my meeting. I've made Jesus, quote, Lord of my life. And I haven't instigated any change. I haven't deviated from the direction I've decided to come in. You understand? So he's not focused on them calling him Lord. He didn't smash open the door when he heard that, did he? And you and I shouldn't either. We shouldn't be too impressed when people call Jesus Lord. Yeah? Because he isn't. He's saying to them, how are you coming? I, hear, I, hear, I heard the word Lord, but I'm disregarding that. I'm really focusing on the way you came. Because that's what's important to me. Not your mouth going off. Yeah? Not your mouth babbling on about Jesus. I'm only interested right now in the way that you came. And the direction you're coming and have come in has left you behind the shut door. Yeah? Now, are these redeemed people? They absolutely are redeemed people. Yeah? But do you know, they're, they're also redeemed people who have already been judged. You understand that? The initial events we saw earlier have already happened. The resurrection happened. The gathering has happened. The judgment seat has happened. And the kingdom has been inaugurated. And they're outside of it. They're outside of it. Do you remember the wide gate where it talked about destruction? Loss. They're lost. They've lost the presence into the kingdom. How do we know that? Because the door to the kingdom has already been shut. That's how we know it. Yeah? But they are redeemed. They're they're redeemed who decided to come their own way, not the way depicted by the Lord. Yeah? It's the way that the Lord depicts that we have to go by. So despite them calling him Lord, their actions dictated that they were coming. Because if Jesus had been their Lord, they would have done what he asked them to do. And they didn't do it. Do you see that? They didn't do it. And we'll see what that refers to in a minute. So these redeemed did not, we know one thing, they didn't strive, did they? They didn't strive as the old song goes, I did it my way. Yeah? And they're all behind that closed door, singing that. Oh, okay, we did it our way. I won't start singing, though, because you really are. I might get barred off the internet. But you see here that those who heard him teaching, do you remember the context of, of Luke? Remember we saw that? Teaching in their homes, eating with them, fellowshipping with them. They heard the teachings. 
And by all indications, they heard all the teachings. But what they did was at cross purposes to what he taught. And yet they're still under the illusion, Jesus is the Lord. Do you see that? So important for us to see that. That's the title they're screaming at him. Lord! Lord! We're behind the closed door. Why? Because it's absolutely essential we see the importance of getting the gospel right. We're in this series called the gospel. It's absolutely essential we understand and understand it correctly. This is not optional. Do you you understand? It's not optional. Because people take it so in their stride that, you know, they're so blasé about it. You know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, he believes the gospel's this. Oh, they believe the gospel's that. Oh, hey, you're focusing on what the Lord's talking about here. You, be, you and I better get it right. Now, will we get it right in every verse and every word that we talk about? Probably not, but we won't, it won't be for lack of trying. <laughs> yeah? Now, don't forget here as we read on with who the you are. I don't want us transposing that, superimposing that onto those outside of the church. It's those that are in. Yeah? These are Christ's redeemed. They're those who are expecting their way, the direction they're coming in, to give them the authority to get through that narrow gate. Do you see that? That narrow gate leads into the kingdom. Yeah. Instead of Christ's way, his way was what? It was the way of striving and agonizing to enter in. But what are we to strive and agonize? That's not you having a bad hair day. That's not you having a, a, a bad day at work. Because yeah. you talk, you mentioned Jesus. <laughs> but we can superimpose all these things on top of it. And it's not. Because uh, context, context, context. Because he's going to tell us right here what it means to strive and agonize. Look at verse 26. Then you will begin to say, hold on, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. So what are they throwing back at him? Hey, we've heard your teachings. We've been to all your meetings. I bought all your CDs. Yeah? All your videos. And my bookshelf full of your books. Because we read it in verse 22, didn't we? Jesus was in their homes, wasn't he? And he was in their streets. And they thought that was enough. They thought because they heard the teaching, they thought because they rubbed shoulders with him, that they were going to get into the kingdom. And yet despite all of that, they didn't make it. We better figure out why. Yeah? And now they're saying, you know, what's up, Jesus? We're calling you Lord. We've heard all your, do- your teachings. And he's saying, I don't, know. I, I, I don't know what teachings you heard. You certainly didn't do, the te- do what was required in the teachings I gave. Now, in that culture, eating and drinking was really, really a huge deal. Yeah? Today, you just go and eat anywhere with anybody in their home. It doesn't really matter. In that culture, when you ate with somebody, you mixed, that food was mixed with salt. That salt was a covenant with you and that individual. They had to give up their life for you. Their protection while you were in that home was on you. It's so important that we understand this. Now look at verse 27. And that's why, by the way, that's why they're pushing that. They're saying, hold on, we ate with you, you know, we drank with you, we fellowship with you. Lord, <laughs> yeah, and yet they didn't make it. Look at verse 27. But he will say, and 
It doesn't matter what anybody else is, is saying. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, unrighteousness. Hold on. He was invited into their homes. He ate and drank and taught them. And yet he's turning around and saying, because of the way you're coming, the direction in which you're coming, you did it all your way, you're a worker of unrighteousness. Why that should scream so loudly to us. So how did Jesus categorize those redeemed? Workers of unrighteousness. Do you remember the verse we read earlier in 2 Timothy 2.19? Those who are his must, must turn from unrighteousness. That's not optional. It's not optional. We have to turn from unrighteousness. And look at verse 28. In that place. What place? It's the place outside the door of the kingdom. It's the place outside the door of the kingdom. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. They're outside. They're outside the kingdom. Look at verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. He's telling us. Remember, Remember what we read about servitude. He's back to that again. The striving through the narrow gate is servitude. It's change. We all have to change we all have to start serving one another in love. Because we can't miss that last verse. Jesus is putting out the whole key to us of striving through that narrow door right there in the context. Because the explanation has to be right here in the context. Because do you remember his last act of servitude that he showed his call, his inner circle, was he washed their feet. And we'll get into that next, next time we're together. Because we're out of time this week, but we'll see that in the next, it's going to be a a couple of weeks yet, uh, we meet up, and we'll come to a deeper understanding of what it actually means to strive through that narrow door in more detail. And we'll also see who who expected to walk through into that kingdom of Jesus Christ, through that narrow door, but but they got rejected, just like we saw there. They got rejected despite them, their so called powerful works. Because they had powerful works. And they threw that up into the face of Jesus and he said, no, you are not going to enter in. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. We thank you for your coming kingdom, Father. The great hope we have of an inheritance in that kingdom as we strive to enter through that narrow door in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.